Hello and welcome to Hello Governor the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah and my guest today is the lovely Caitlin Robrock. Is that how you pronounce Robrock, your last name? Yes. Yeah. Hello. Um so how you doing, Caitlin? It's been um it's been a crazy two years. It <laughs> to has. say the least. Almost three. Oh god, it's I'm almost three years. Oh god, I forgot. <laughs> oh god. It's been almost three years of this and um yeah. <laughs> God. Three years for, oh, for pandemic. Uh, yeah, definitely two years. <laughs> two years, Sorry. three. Two years, three years. I, I don't. I don't even know what what is time anymore. What is time, Caitlin? That's my first question. Is what is time? Time is that thing that passes that could be your greatest enemy or your best friend. So, um, the first question is the obvious one. But what is your origin story? Like, how did you get involved in voiceover? voiceover i i knew it was a thing when i was a kid because obviously I, I had a very educational childhood in animation and cartoons so i knew these cartoons are making sound but it didn't like click for me exactly that it's a person kind of doing it like it's a, a job and i knew at least acting wise i wanted to do that after i saw hook out in 1992 I believe it came out the same year as Beauty and the Beast. And, of course, I wanted to go see Beauty and the Beast. But my brother convinced me to go see Hook instead. And so glad he did. Uh, because that's when I first saw and was, like, kind of cognizant of Robin Williams. So that's when I knew, like, oh, this guy's making me laugh. He's making me cry. This is kind of what I want to do. I want to I play pretend like this, even if I'm old, like he's old, and see what that can happen. And then the following year, right after that, I saw Aladdin of, with, again, Robin Williams. And that's when it clicked. Like, oh, wait, this person with a face and a voice and a, a real person, he's just doing the voice and they put the voice to the cartoon. That's a thing. Like, that's when it actually clicked for me. So I knew, like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do the acting, but I want to do it for cartoons. But uh, I lived in San Diego at the time and born and raised there and we didn't really have any options out there at the time like how do you do something like this we had no idea no clue so I figured and my parents of course they figured like well if you're gonna do anything with voice acting or cartoon acting you have to be an actor so I definitely started taking acting classes through junior high and through high school um, just to try to get that best starter education you can and then I went to university university city Irvine, UCI, and I did that for my ma uh, bachelor's in acting with a focus on musical theater. And I thought, okay, well, let's see. From what I've seen of voiceover, all of these people have been on Broadway or they're really fancy and they're really good singers, so I just have to be on Broadway in a few musicals, and then I'll get to do voiceover. And, and that's not how it works, but I didn't know that. So I took all my classes in, in Irvine, and then I traveled with them through this program that I think they're the only school that does, or at least they were the only school back then, where they take you to New York, and you live there for a month, and you take acting classes, and dance classes, and singing classes, um, and I certainly did that, and I had been injured at my job kind of in that mid-2000s era, so it severely hampered my dancing ability, like for tap and jazz and ballet. So it was a very rough time because that 
that slowed me down and that changed a lot of things. You know, you gain weight, you kind of get depressed. And if you overdo it, you'll just keep getting hurt. And it, my injury was in my meniscus in my knee. And it wasn't so big that it needed surgery, but it was still big enough where, like, this is going to bother you if you push it hard. But I also noticed after the classes are ending for the day, I'm going to see shows almost every night because I love watching the shows and being entertained. And I'm studying how they're acting and their vocal nuance. But my other classmates, they were taking additional classes after 5 p.m. Like once the school day was over, they were still taking classes out of their own dime. Or they were getting up at 4 a.m. to go audition for, for Broadway shows like, like before classes. So that type of dedication and diligent passion for that craft, I didn't have that drive specifically for these Broadway shows. Like, if I lived out there, I'd have to work two jobs just to make ends meet. My face and my body type and my vocal type, there weren't that many archetypes for those characters out on the stage at the time. And it snows out there, and I hate snow. I hate being cold. So that was kind of my clue. I don't think this is the right avenue. I don't think I'm supposed to do this, but I didn't really know what else to do. But when I came back from that trip, the Internet had was you know, in its prime at the time. Well, I guess it's always in its prime. But by then, like, okay, there's options online. There's websites that can show where can you take acting classes nearby. Are there classes that focus on voiceover? This is something that I could start doing at least from the ground up that way, even though I live in Irvine. And then I, I moved to Anaheim after I graduated. But that's how I found Bob Bergen. And he's the voice of Porky Pig, and he's a teacher, and he's been teaching for 30 years. If it's less, he'll probably kill me. But I took his class twice, um, really focusing on, okay, how do we angle all my acting and all my stage presence? And how do we angle all of that to voiceover? How do we make it so this is something that you can do for animation where they hear all of your beats or they see all that nuance just in your voice? And he's been one of my mentors since whenever we first met. So I, he's been with me on my journey for well over 15 years. And that's, that's how I mainly got my start in it. And then once I kind of got my feet wet with him, I kind of knew, okay, I need to take these types of classes for voiceover. So any that he could teach or Hope Levy when she established Voice Actors Network. And then Mary Lynn Wisner, who a dear, dear friend of mine, she does Meet the VO Pros as well. So I took her classes a lot. And that was the real start of my career in education was meeting these casting directors and these actors and these agents and taking these workshops and clinics to showcase my my range and see where can I go with this. And then after just a hair longer, I was able to get my demos made and I got my agent, you know, follow a guideline. There is a guideline. There's no, there's no answer on how to get in there because everyone's different, but there is a guideline you can follow to give you your best, your strongest choices and your best options and then just see where the road takes you. And that, that's what happened to me. And um, I, while I was doing my research for this interview, you, your first ever official role was a small part in the Drawn Together movie. Is that correct? Yes. And this falls in line with what I'm saying about how it's not the same for everybody, how they but break in. Because that, that was insane. And it'll never happen again. <clears throat> or if it does, I'll start a club. But that happened because... And if you notice, my voice is very deep today. I'm just getting over having COVID because it's everywhere, and I was not immune. But it was very mild, so I'm doing great. 
and this is just kind of that morning voice, so enjoy. But um, for Drawn Together, I had watched the show when I was in college, and when I started meeting voice actors, like through Comic-Cons, um, I got to know Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche, and Jess Harnell. And Jess has been such a supporter of my career. Like, like he's someone who had said, like, call me anytime. If you have questions, if you need a boost, just call me. He's, he's just that kind of person. And so we went to go see this panel at Comic-Con about the Drawn Together movie. Because I loved the show and I loved all the cast on that. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we, I told my friends, like, hey, let's go see this panel. Let's go support Jess. And then at the end of the panel, the team that was putting it on was saying, we're going to do a little contest. And the winner of the contest is going to be drawn into the new movie. And everyone starts cheering. And I swear, I hear them go like, well, they might do a line or two. You know, but I was like, did anyone hear that last bit? That you can do a line in this movie? That could, that could be something. You never know. I really want to do this. So I raised my hand, and, you know, everyone raises their hands. So, like, one person on the panel picks this guy over here, and another person picks a guy over there. And my friend Diana next to me, she goes, pick a check! And everyone turns to look at her. And thank, thanks, thank you, all my posse. They're all pointing to me, and I'm raising my hand. And Jess sees me and is like, oh, oh, her. Yeah, of course. Get up here, you. So, like, okay, nepotism works. So we get up there, and I have no idea what this contest is going to be. Are we going to re recreate our favorite scene, do our favorite impression of a character? And they pull out a couple pairs of these fuzzy handcuffs that they got from somewhere salacious, I'm sure. And the contest was, how long can you stay handcuffed to everybody? And the person who stays handcuffed the longest gets to be drawn into the movie and gets to do the voice. And I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. So about five hours later, I'm like, I really want to go home. I want to eat food. I want to have a shower. I want to see my parents. I don't know how much longer I can do this, but I really want this role. And the other two guys, one of them had a backpack with all of his things in it because he was just hotel hopping, so he didn't care where he went. And the other guy, he lived, like, across the street from the convention center, so like, oh, I can go home at any time. But then there's me. And I was kind of surreptitiously talking to Jess, and he's like, yeah, I'll talk to them. Don't worry. So he talked to the creators, Dave and Matt, and he was like, hey, I can vouch for Caitlin she can do this voiceover role that we're, we're envisioning if we just kind of want to end this contest. Like, let's, let's, we've got an answer here. And so eventually they ended the contest. Every one of us was going to be drawn in to the audience watching the, the show, I'll call it, in the movie. And then I was given the voiceover role. So I went in and I did three voices because they could get you up to three at the time. And we had a blast. It was a lot of, lot of fun. And I kept in touch with them. And they, they brought me in for other projects um, down the line. They had me, you know, final callbacks for some of them. And the team at Adult Swim took me over to Mr. Pickles. And that was my first big break was doing Mr. Pickles. I was one of the leads on that show. So I, I really do credit Dave and Matt and Jess as being, like, the start of my career that way. Because I don't think it would have happened any other way except this insane. I was handcuffed and I won a prize at the end. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a weird origin story, but it is an origin it is. story. It is. It's so <laughs> well, and then getting the show, and then on a completely different tangent, uh, meeting some friends. My friend Lee, who knew Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy. So I met Bill and his wife Jen. I think we're coming up on 
you know, 10, 11, 12 years now. It's, it's been some time. And I met them through our friend, and they had just started their demo production house. So I was their first demo for my first animation. And I had a commercial demo at that time, and I had this show, this random show I'm a lead of. So they kind of used that like, hey, she's got a lot of raw talent. It, it may need to be polished or angled in certain ways, but she's got a show. There, here are her demos. She's got the recommendation approval from Bill Farmer. So he walked me in to his agent at AVO. And I had been auditioning for agencies for a few months. And I hadn't auditioned for AVO yet, but this was a good opportunity of like, hey, this is as close as you're going to get outside of a workshop or a clinic. So I read for them. And then at the end of 2012, I believe, I had gotten a trial offer from Atlas Talent of like, yeah, we'll, we'll trial you for three months to see what sticks, and then a full offer from AVO. So I went with AVO, and we focused on commercials first, and I just kept taking those workshops and clinics, just kept taking the acting classes, um, and I started like weekly workouts, like with Mick Winger, like where you can bring in auditions, and he'll, he has a fantastic ear for hearing, you know, how can we change up your melody, how can we how can we focus on the acting beats of this audition? What are your points of views? He's a fantastic director and an amazing talent himself. So I was with him from those early years, 2012, 2013. I was with him all the way until 2020 when the pandemic started and the in-person classes had to stop. So he still does it online. I just, it's so hard to like book the time now with all the projects I'm doing or his private auditions, you never know. And I think that's a really good problem to have if you're if you're working so much you can't afford or you can't afford the time to like do these things. But I am looking forward to when these workshops and clinics and classes come back in person. I feel I learn better that way. But over the time, my agents trusted me more and I made sure to talk to them of like, I want to do these types of things. Um, if you're not sending me those auditions, do you happen to have any that have passed that I could practice with? or I could work on them in classes and then, and then send you samples of that so then you can trust me to audition. And that's that I believe that's part of the working relationship. If you're not auditioning much with your agent, have that meeting and, and say like, you know, I've noticed this. What more can I do to help you guys out? Um, it, or if you are able to do all these archetypes, are they too similar to people who are already with the agency that have kind of been with them longer? There's an answer for everything. And you want to make sure you're working with your agent just as much as your agent is working with you. It's a symbi they can't make their 10% if you don't book, and you can't book if you're not auditioning. So how do you get those auditions? That's, that's the teamwork involved, and my team at AVO has always listened to me and, or given it to me straight if it's like, I heard this was going around. Is that something I could read for? I'm afraid not, Caitlin. They want this, that, or the other thing. All right, well, that's that. Move on to the next thing. But it, it definitely shows that, oh, what's the word? Like that gumption, that drive. I think it starts with a P. Persistence? Passion? Something like that. But it, it definitely shows, like, if you want to work in this business, you got to ask questions and you got to be open to any type of criticism and take it as a learning stone. Take it as a stepping stone to getting better as opposed to, like, a wall that's keeping you back. And I think that's the biggest advice I could give any aspiring actor is be receptive to everything. Don't always assume it's about you if you're failing because sometimes and we're not even failing but sometimes uh, the way they cast things are completely out of your hands so you just can't dwell on it 
And it, it's a hard lesson to learn, and I, I'm, sometimes I'm still learning it. But feel those feelings. Vent to your friends over coffee. Keep it off social media. Keep it out of your convos with your peers in the community. Allow those feelings to happen, but then grow beyond them. What and was do your question again? <laughs> no, no, it's it's great. Um, but do you feel that you know you've been doing it for 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 a couple of years now? Do you feel like you're more comfortable with what your? Do you know what your strengths and weaknesses are? Oh yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and when you live with yourself, you don't often see the growth. But and then I had that severe imposter syndrome where I would get praise after a class or a clinic or be like, you, you're phenomenal. This range is great. And I'm like, no, I'm not phenomenal. Like I, I tricked you somehow. I don't know how I did, but I tricked you. I'm not that great. If I were great, wouldn't I be booking more? Like it was just this, it was self-sabotage for sure. But I really learned a lot. Um, there, there was a turning point, I would say in 2017. I can't for the life of me remember what it was, but there was something that happened kind of back then that just changed. Oh, that's right. In 2016 and 2017, I took Second City. Um, I saved up my funds, and I was able to take the Second City improv classes. And that was, I knew kind of what improv was, but for me it was more like, you know, you have no filter, you say the first thing that comes out of your mouth, which could be funny or not, depending on how your brain works. But taking Second City and taking those improv classes gave me a discipline, and it gave me the tools of, like, how can you best say the first thing that comes out of your mouth in the right tone of voice, in the right respective acting way, contingent on the scene you're performing, without just kind of going loud or yelling or doing some kind of physical comedy. Because I, I took it more as like that guiding line for stage theater as opposed to like something like SNL or Mad TV. So that helped immensely on my improv, my focusing on acting in that moment, on reacting in the moment. And my auditions really started feeling better. Whether or not I booked didn't matter. I was feeling better doing these auditions. And I was proud of what I was doing. And I wasn't hung up on, is this what they want? Maybe, but it's what I wanted. It's how I felt doing it. It's, it's this moment where I was the character. I've booked it in my brain, and I'm going to play with it. And once you learn that lesson, all the doors open up. So I, was, I started just doing my auditions better that way and having fun with them or really diving into them if they're intense, serious moments like for a video game of like, well, this, you're, you're back on that stage at Second City and you're, you're opposite Rob Belushi or, or Jamie Moyer and like, how are we going to talk about this before we switch to the funny? And right after I started doing that, I booked Amphibia, Felicia on Amphibia, and I booked several characters on Thundercats Roar. So things were really doing much better after I had that breakthrough. And, and um, you bring a, a good point in that I feel like a lot of people nowadays focus on, and I've said this in a previous episode, but a lot of people I've, I've noticed on social media focus on, oh, I didn't get that one role I wanted and, that, and I'm now really sad about it and whatnot. And I'm like, look, it, it, just because you didn't get, you know, that one specific role you wanted doesn't mean your career is over you you pick yourself back up and you keep you keep going at it because there are going to be tons of roles okay one door closes you make that door you make that door yeah there's a saying <clears throat> a lot of teachers use i gosh who i feel horrible i don't remember who originated it but there's a saying i've learned 
I think it might have been Bob. Just because you didn't book the role doesn't mean you didn't get the role, especially if in callbacks. A callback literally is all of these people can carry our show. They can do the character well. They can be in the show. They fit audibly with the rest of the cast. We just have to pick one. So which of these one people checks off every box in the callback list? And you, you may have checked off every box except one, and then Johnny Johnson checked off all of them, so they went with Johnny. They could have easily picked you, and you could have filled in that last box you didn't check as you went, as the show progressed. But just because you didn't book it didn't mean you didn't get the role. You have that archetype, you have that power, and you have that ability. It just, they can only pick one. And, and learning to live with the rejection is part of that game. But an, another stepping stone I had learned after booking Minnie, because I, I, when I booked Minnie Mouse, I worked opposite Tress McNeil a lot with a lot of her pre-recorded work on a lot of our episodes and a lot of our shorts. Because we don't record in person with each other as much as I would love to. And I haven't met Tress, uh, like, officially, officially yet. Like, getting to know her or having a nice conversation with her. She's a very busy lady. But they would play for me a lot of her work. And that's how I bounced off my performances in the beginning. And my agent had said, like, don't worry. Like, like record when you record things or you go out for projects like Tress, Tress does, does her audition and then she goes and enjoys her life. She doesn't dwell on anything because she doesn't need to. Because she's enjoying her life outside of her job. But she loves her job as well. And it was, it makes so much sense and it seems so obvious, but I needed to, like, hear it in that context. I don't have to worry about the rejection. Just enjoy life and let it come to you just the way Tress does. And then the world is her oyster. In my opinion, she's one of the best voices for women ever. And I knew who June Foray was, and I loved her. But I'm a generation where my heroes were established like in the 80s and 90s. So for, for, for women who were performing back then, June Foray was their touchstone for sure. But for me, Tress McNeil is my touchstone. Or, or Rusi Taylor is my trust, touchstone, or Kat, Kat Susie is my, Maurice Lamar. Like, th these people who are like the second wave of strong voiceover, they're my touchstones. So I consider them the pinnacle of quality voiceover. Like, they can do no wrong. Yeah, no, I, as someone who grew up in the 90s, who got used to, you know, the Disney afternoon, yeah. like, the, that was, those were my voices, like... Yep. You know, when I had oh, April yeah. Winch when I had April Winchell on, I was like, mm -hmm. you know, you 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 know, you don't understand like w how this how much your career means to me because you are, you're like you're a legend. You know, you've done all these things and and like she she was one of the first voices I recognized that I that I you know, I'll, I always recognize like oh that's April Winchell. You know, <laughs> and it's <clears throat> when you and, it's so fun when you get to that point. You hear you've heard every possible range of an actor, so you know it's them. But it's not like it gets old or anything. It's just like it's their branding. And fun fact: I thought April Winchell when I was a kid, because I knew who she was because she was in Roger Rabbit. But I thought she created Winchell's Donuts. So I thought like, oh, she does voiceover for. Fun. I guess she's not worth making donuts right now. Like I thought she, <laughs> I thought she was the creator of Winchell's Donuts. <laughs> Uh, but then you, <laughs> but then you find out that you know she's you know the daughter of Paul Winchell, and it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. that makes so much sense. Oh, her talent is undeniable, and she's so much fun to listen to. And our Halloween movie that we did, mm, A Tale of Two Witches, it had such a beautifully strong focus on 
Clarabelle Cow, her character, and she sang, and she she was so good. She was so good. It's it's masterclass, you know, listening to these performances, or if you're lucky enough to watch someone in the booth or be in an ensemble record, it's the best education you can get. And I, I did a little couple voices for a Looney Tune cartoon, and I'm in there with Jeff Bennett and Jeff Bergman and Kevin Michael Richardson, and, like, these are three phenomenal people, and I'm in here with them. And Charlie Adler was my director, and I love Charlie to death. And, like, this is it. Like, you're in this room. Don't think about if you're second or third banana or if you're less than. Like, no, you're in here. Just do what you do and enjoy it. And, you know, Kevin goofed up a few lines, and that's when it occurred to me, like, even the greats goof up. Even they lose their breath or misspell a word, and they we all have a fun laugh and we move on. Like, it's okay to screw up. Uh, like it, again, it's one of those things where, where, of course, it's okay to screw up. That's obvious. Like, but I had to see it. I had to see it and feel it from a hero to know you can be a hero and a person too. Oh, you mean Kevin Michael Richardson shops at Target? Oh man! <laughs> hey, Masio's got some good stuff. Exhilaration. Yeah, I bought a shirt or two from there, but for sure, it was just delightful seeing them perform and just seeing them right in front of me. Yeah, because you you just you're so used to listening to uh, you know the character, you forget that that's a person behind the character. And once you, you know, get to know the person and have a feel of who they are, you know, it's like, "Oh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not they're not celebrities. They're just people like you and me." <laughs> mhm. They've got lives outside of the booth. And, you know, you're not, no one's privy to the, you know, to a personal life. So it's like, sometimes social media can give you these parasocial relationships where you really feel a kinship with a celebrity or an actor or <clears throat> an, an influencer. And I attribute that to just being a wonderful personality. Like, that, that's the personality that draws you to them and, and wants you to get to know them if it's the right context. But sometimes these relationships, they feel so real because you're being allowed an insight into someone's personal life or their or their mindset or that unfiltered opinion but they are still people and they do have lives outside of the booth so like don't don't put someone too high on a pedestal where they'll disappoint you just by being themselves if you go in knowing like this is a person i'd love to tell them like you you made me feel this way with your performance thank you Sometimes that's all you need, just to, to know, like, you were seen and you were heard. And for me, I want to turn around and give that to others. Like, if someone comes up to me and says, like, if I was influential from a project I did, that really warms my heart. And I'm happy to hear that. But I would hope, like, don't be disappointed when you find out I'm, I just stay home a lot of the time and enjoy Chipotle and binge watching. Because I'm a real homebody. So I'm trying to break out a little more, like, go to conventions or 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 do these fun interviews and just kind of talk to people as well and be more out there. But there's nothing wrong with going home at the end of the day and eating a pack of Oreos and watching, what's a show kids like? The Gossip Girl. You know the Gossip Girl? <laughs> hey, man, you know, um, April, I mean, April Winchell just sits at home all day and watches Judge Judy for 12 hours, so, you know? <laughs> and if that makes her happy, do it, girl. You know, it, if I can sum up the gumption, that's the thing for an introvert. You know, I got to work up the, the gumption of like, all right, we're going out to this auction tonight to celebrate some Disney stuff. Like, all right, I'm ready to go. And then I get home and like, okay, I'll go out again in two weeks. I'll be, I'll be ready then. 
I mean, I mean, it is. I mean, it is kind of scary, though. You know, <laughs> going out into the outside world and the unknown. But it's but it's also exciting because that's where the adventure is. And that's how you prevent the FOMO. And I get, ironically, I get FOMO a lot. Um, and and some of that is attributed to that introvertedness. Like, I'm not on social media too much. Like when posting things or or looking through the feeds of your list. Because I, I do, I read a lot. I just love reading books, just kind of taking away from the, the everyday world, especially now when there's just so much hardship going on and so much tragedy, you, you know, like the, just the news is full of these awful things that I can't change outside of, you know, picketing and protesting or, or donating to a cause and voting for people who can stop these things or change these things. That's really the extent of what the average person can do. So it's really hard when you're bombarded from every angle with so many hard stories from around the world and very few positive things to counteract them. So that's why escapism is so big right now. I just got a text right now from like my local governor. We need your help. And I, I know you need my help, but beyond the donations I've already sent you, what more do you want? Like, I need to get through my day too. And, and just that hardship weighs on me. I'm, I'm a very empathic person. So I feel these things so deeply and I end up cutting myself off from emotion and retreating into a hole just so I don't have to feel that to the point where I'm crying and like I can't focus on my work because I'm I'm stuck in a loop so if watching Judge Judy is the thing of joy then bang that gavel let me hear these ridiculous people coming in with these court cases I'm with her and and I said this to her as well like one of the things that really comforts me is like being a child of the 90s and the fact that, you know, whenever I hear April in like a modern Disney show, I'm like, oh, that's April Winchell. And I keep telling myself, look, as long as April Winchell is still doing Disney shows, then there, there's like some semblance of normalcy for me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like you said, everything, like everything right now is kind of difficult. And I know that, you know, it's all jokes, but, you know, if I can be serious for a little bit. You know, uh, everything's tough right now, and I understand, you know, people wanting to, you know, walk away. Like, don't, you know, if, if looking at social media or the news is depressing, de- depressing you, just stop doing it. You know, walk away, find comfort in something, and just, you know, I don't Take know. That break. Yeah. There, I don't think a human being is meant to shoulder as much information an emotional turmoil as the internet has given us since we are literally connected to every person in every place in the world. Our brains and our hearts can't accommodate all of that. And, and so many people are like, it wasn't like this when I was a kid or none of this happened when I was a kid. Like, oh, I bet it all did. You just didn't hear about it. You heard about your local news or you heard about national news as if it was something big enough or if the person involved was big enough. That's how we hear about those things. But now everything every day is heard about and things are happening so much more frequently. You know, these awful, awful school shootings, they happen so frequently and it hurts my heart. And I've, I've wanted children for years, but as the, as the years go on, besides, you know, getting older, like I'm fearful of having kids, bringing them into this world and, and subjecting them to these risks and these, these inherited situations that they have to deal with. And, and, you know, I was a kid at the cusp of internet, so like, 
we've been there since that beginning. What am I called? I'm a called an elder millennial. I've discovered that I am an elder millennial, <laughs> just shy of forty. Yeah, because I because when I was when I was looking at your Twitter, I'm like, oh man, she knows all the things I know about. Oh wait, I forgot. She's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm super nostalgic. <laughs> but I look like I'm 27. It's Ola Volay. <laughs> at least I hope I look like I'm 27. But yeah, it's 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 tricky. But your own well-being should come first. If it's not to the detrimental expense of someone else. I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, you know, your life is worth more than someone else. But like if you were uncomfortable or just irritated by a situation, but another person is inconsolable by that same situation or they need more than you do, if you can grin and bear it for their sake, I say try. You know, it, like switching jobs. Like when, I, when I worked at Disneyland, you know, there'd be some shifts of like, okay, this is a fun shift. I'm fine doing this. There's no reason for me not to trade with someone else for this shift. I get it a lot. This shift doesn't bring me any pain, but it doesn't exactly bring me any joy. I just, maybe I like the hours or maybe I like the, the loop music that played. But someone else comes and says, "Could you? Will, you, will you be willing to switch your shift A for my shift B? Here's the reasons I can't work B or here's the reasons I need to work A. If I have no reason to keep my A shift, I'll trade with them. I may not have any benefit, but they clearly needed something. So like, oh, well, I don't really like the shift you're giving me, but you know what? I can tolerate it for a day if it's helping you out. And we, we need more of that empathy, I think. I totally agree. I, I feel like it is easy to it is easy to be angry. And I'm not saying, you know, anger isn't a valid emotion right now. But, you know, taking a step back and empathizing is it's hard, man. But I feel like it's it's something that needs to happen. Yeah. Otherwise, like, otherwise, we're just going to end up angry and bitter for the rest of our lives. And I don't and I don't want that. I've always said that pride is the worst sin. Pride is the worst because all the other sins can stem from pride. Like like people who don't who simply just don't like being told no, who don't like being told what to do. But it's not about anyone trying to control you. It's like doing something for the greater good of the people. The, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And this is just my personal opinion, of course. Like, I don't speak for anyone besides myself. But it, I have no problem getting this COVID-19 vaccine that has been vetted and, and studied and ins ensured of safety and health by untold doctors and scientists who've made it their career to be factual and to believe in that science getting that shot even if i would be fine and having covid 19 having caught it this last weekend all i had was a hoarse voice for three days and a dry cough that was it and i attribute that super mild reaction to having my vaccines and wearing my masks i truly believe that i had the common cold a week before it was awful it wasn't it wasn't covid it was just the common cold and it was awful but it, it, there was no comparison and if getting these boosters and wearing my masks, even if it makes me sweat or makes me just bleh, every day is protecting someone who can't get those vaccines or who could have the dangerous reaction to this virus where they're hospitalized, I will take that irritation and that discomfort in exchange for their well-being and their life any day, any day. Or people, I donate a lot of my money to just random GoFundMes who need help getting medicine or or trying to pay for a cancer surgery. Like, these are awful things that I'm 
very privileged not to have to deal with. And I've, I've lived frugally for a long time. I don't know what to do with money, so I'm happy to donate it to these causes to help these people. Sorry, I'm getting a little verklempt. Ugh. No, no, it's 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 fine. They need it. <laughs> they need no. it, and I don't need it. So let's let's spread that wealth. Yeah, no, I mean, if if you're making money and you're not using it to help people who are less fortunate than you, then yeah, I don't know. You can't take it with you. <laughs> these billionaires out there, you can't take it with you. You're going to the same place everyone else goes. <laughs> Better the lives that are here than your own, which I'm sure is fine as it is. You don't need three yachts. Uh, it's just unfathomable those lives to me those the way they live those lives yeah I'm happy a... with my little prius i don't need a what's a fancy car right now a lamborghini i don't need that i got a prius i get good gas mileage it reclines sure the seats could be heated but i'll i'll go without that's that's my favorite misconception people have about voice actors. Like, oh, they make so much money. They're on these Disney shows. They they must be made for life, right? Nope. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're a union voice actor who works five days a week, and there are several, who are very, very good, and they've done this for a very long time, and they've got a fantastic work ethic and reputation, you can live comfortably. You absolutely can. My money goes into a savings account because my biggest goal is to, you know, buy a townhome for myself. I want to put down roots. I want to have a permanent location. And I love the apartment I'm in. But as we all know, apartment rents go up every year. If you can buy a home or a townhome, there's your fixed price that you pay off. And then like just your weekly or your monthly upkeeps, what have you. But it's so hard to buy homes and, and townhomes these days because the price is it's such a battlefield. So I'm saving my money to be able to make a purchase like that where I can be, I'll pay the entire thing up front right now. You know, you know, f find the best ways to, to fight that fight. But I just stash it all in the bank waiting for that opportunity. And then I budget myself as if I were still at Disneyland making 400 a week after taxes. That's, that's what you got to do and, and learn, you know, stretch out those meals. That's how I did it before I booked Minnie Mouse. I stretched out my meals. Sometimes I'd skip showers to save water. You know, if I'm off the next day, so no one would have to smell you. Um, split foods, or like if, if, if you have to eat somewhere quick, like fast food, like, all right, I'll get a kid's meal. That's the way it's a smaller portion of this not-so-great food. But you, you'll live through the night until breakfast. And I made that work for years, years and years and years. And it, it paid off. And I, I live comfortably now, but I know, you know, anything, it could all go away. You never know. There is no security. I think one of my favorite quotes was from uh, Trevor Duvall when I had him on back in 2019. He said, you know, this is a wonderful job, but there's no security in it. No, there isn't. And, and I've had plenty of people be like, wow, you're, you're set for life now that you're mini. And I said, like, our Disney character friends, you know, the goal, absolutely the goal is to, like, it's a lifelong job, as it were. But you still want to make sure you're, you have a good working relationship, a good work ethic a positive personality, you understand these characters and respect them so that way their integrity is not compromised, the Disney company's branding isn't compromised. It, it's definitely a job just as much as it is a blessing to perform that role. And I love this role with every fiber of my being because I've wanted to be one of those privileged few who get to carry this stewardship since, you know, I, since I can remember. And 
I'm, I'm very lucky to have been given that gift. And I'm aware of it every day. And I make sure I am on the up and up and I'm treating it exactly how it should be treated. And I love my job as a voice actor too. I love all my roles. But I know what comes first and I know what my crown jewel is. And I, that, that will always get my devotion first. And I love how you're not advertising yourself as the voice of Minnie Mouse. You're just you gotta keep that magic. Yeah. Little ones know how to go on these computers, and and <clears throat> you know we we do have our times where we do talk about it, like especially with like Disney sponsored events. But a lot, you know, those audiences are Disney diehards. They love the creation of all things involved, including voiceover, and that's still magical for them seeing that peek behind the curtain. But you know, little ones until they get to that point where they can understand it and enjoy it. You know, you don't want to have a Santa reveal moment and risk crushing someone's heart. You want to make sure it, it comes off as, oh, I never knew that. That's so cool. You want that to be a good graduation for their love of Disney, for their love of animation, for their love of these characters. And, you know, so I always put in mind, like, my main audience is under five. Make sure that they are given the safety and love for these characters that they have literally been raised to have. They will always come first. Yeah, no, I agree because, um, and this is like completely, <laughs> I, I did not plan this. This is not, you know, this is not scripted or anything, but, um, I, I just think, like to talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. Be, I, I mean, this is, this is completely coincidental, but, um, I remember, um, I think it was like Tuesday, you know, my, my sister and her and, and, and my niece and nephew were here and, um, you know, seeing my niece, you know, hug, um, hug a Minnie Mouse a plush doll, you know, put that into perspective for me where it's like, oh, I, now I understand why, you know, why this, why this is so important to, mm-hmm. you know, to keep that alive because, <laughs> you know, she's going to grow up with, you know, you as the voice and... And you got to keep that magic alive. You want to make sure that even though they're cognizant that this is something, like when I had my awakening with Robin Williams as Genie, you want to make sure that when that realization comes, the logic is there, but if you can still take them away into that fantasy world, you're doing it right. When I watch Monsters, Inc., I don't think it's John Goodman and Billy Crystal. it's It's not always present in my mind. This is Mike and Sully. Because the, they have the exact same voices they do in real life. They don't have a huge range to change their voice. But their acting and their attitude and their point of view in this movie is so good and so strong. You are watching Sully and Mike. You don't even think about John and Billy during that hour and a half. And then, unfortunately, there are some projects where you hear the voice and all you can, all you can see in your mind is that actor. Or you just hear that actor or hear another character they performed, and you're taken out of that magic of animation. And it's a shame when that happens. So, like, we always want to try to make sure you're casting the right voices that can that can add to that mix, that can bring that fantasy to life. And sometimes, you know, if it's not me, oh, well, it's someone else. It's it's the, the right voices, for the most part, will come. And, and there's, um... there's been roles I've wanted... <laughs> Not just Minnie, but, like, there's been roles I've wanted so badly. Like, I love them to pieces, or I've loved them and, and can can recreate it if it's an already established character or if it's a character like, I feel like this was written for me, and I want it so bad. 
and then you don't book it. And it's hard. It is so hard. And I, I don't tell people about that because, you know, you don't want to bring that negativity into a space in front of people who don't know you, who don't know you as a person. They may only know you as a name or a reputation or an actor in those brief moments. So until you are both blessed enough to know each other's personal lives and know how someone thinks and feels, you want to make sure you're giving the best version of yourself to the world. And then those select few in your life, in your circle, you can tell them how you feel. Even if they can't change anything for you and they're just an ear to listen. It's, it's getting that grief out of your system to know you've been heard. And I've done that plenty of times. And then after, you know, you sleep on it, drink a bottle of Martinelli, and I feel great. And then I just, I pick myself up and I continue on. It's on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Didn't, get that, you know, didn't get the role you wanted, on to the next one. And so on and and so on. And if you had a beautiful performance and you worked hard and you stayed positive, the people who were in charge of that first casting, they'll remember it be like, you know what? She didn't book this, but what she did would be great for this character. Let's bring her in for that. Or she was, you know, we just goofed around in the booth and had a fun time. Or I had dinner with her and she's hilarious. Let's bring her in for these additional voices because we know she can knock them out. You know, like those, those events happen. And I'm not saying they happen to me. I'm sure I'm phenomenal to be with at dinner. But those moments, you never know when they're going to happen. And people just, people will love you as you are. I always say, like, you know, if you ever, if you are struggling with, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, by being with all these, like, talented voice actors and you're worried about, okay, they're going to find out I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm an imposter or whatever. You know, just, just calm down, take a deep breath. And just keep telling yourself you are enough. Yeah. And I mean that—that's the best advice I've ever gotten when it came to dealing with um, with imposter syndrome. Because I've had so many, so many wonderful people from from the business on this podcast, and and a lot of times I'm like, oh God, they're gonna find out I'm an imposter. Or like, what are you doing on this podcast? You know, why are you talking to me? And blah blah blah. But you know what? I I am enough. And I am I am comfortable with that. I know my style isn't to everybody's liking, but I like to have conversations with the guest. I know I like to know who the who the person behind the character is, mm-hmm. because we're all people at the end of the day. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite characters you've done is uh, Felicia in Amphibia, and yeah. I'm kind of wondering, like, um, I always say Felicia. But we're the ones who established it was Felicia. <laughs> so shame on me. <laughs> I know, right? Because I, I had to rewatch the show before we, we, we were recording this. I'm like, because I, I don't want to say Felicia. <laughs> I know it's not Felicia. But, um, but um, how did that come about? That came about, um, gosh, what was it? Uh, we had the Amphibia auditions in like early 2017 for Anne and for Polly and for like the main the main group and later on that year Mrs. Croker had come through and I hadn't read for her but that was a great stepping stone where I could tell my agents like I'd love to read for characters like this in the future may I practice with the copy or or just give you samples of my little old lady or there's a few of them actually so that helped out for the future because I've booked several old ladies since now that I had shown them I can do it um and then Felicia came through a few months after Mrs. Croker, and I knew exactly who this woman was from the get-go. 
she's because I've had plenty of family members who have behaved this way. You know, we're, we're a Midwestern ancestry, and it's so easy to do like the Southern debutante or, or bless your heart. You're wrong, but I still love you. Like, I know exactly who this passive-aggressive woman is. And she's not like that. We know that. But it definitely came off of, oh, she, she's, she, her, her, her automatic setting is herself first or her daughter first that best benefits her um, from the get-go. And then, of course, the character grew and changed, and we got to know more about her in... I love her so much. So we, the audition came where it's about like four or five one-liner roles. Uh, usually they can give, the auditions can be, you've got a set of lines that kind of address each emotional state or point of view of a character or each reactionary state of a character. Or your audition can be a scene from the script at some point and you're doing all of your lines in the scene opposite an invisible actor. They both have their, their wonderful merits. I, I like the one-off liners because you can really play with them and really feel the, the difference in tone or change the, change the beats, change the reactions. I love those the best. So Felicia, for most of those lines, I would do the line <clears throat> how I envisioned her, and then I would improv a button, or I would start it off with a small improv to lead into the line to be like, okay, if she's going to be angry... Like, when you, when you get angry, you don't get angry off the bat. Usually you have some kind of like, oh, or a reactionary feeling, and then you launch into that emotion. So I built my audition around those lines with little add-ons or over-the-top dramatics, and, and that's how I booked her. And uh, what, what were some of your favorite quotes? Let's see. Um, uh, like, one of her lines was, you know, it's hard to be a modern woman and raise kids. So I started it off by saying, like, well, Oh, wait, what is it? A business owner and have kids. I think that's what it was. It was like, it's hard to be a business owner and have kids. I'm just a modern woman who wants it all. You know, I'm indignant, but it's I'm the victim. Or one of them, yeah, I think one of the line was like, I'm so, ex- I'm so excited your grandson Sprig will be coming to work with us soon. It's like, I'm so excited Sprig is going to be coming to work with us soon. I've already made a monogrammed apron for him. You know, I heard if they're family, you don't have to pay them. So just little little side bits or, I heard you ladies were talking about having a spa day. We should go to this spa. There's hot oil, hot stones, hot men. It's going to be a good time. Just butting into their conversation. So just finding that those improv and those buttons to be like, who is this woman? Oh, she talks a lot. And she she's she kind of makes herself that star of the show. Again, I, I just love how every time she's on screen, she's like, yeah, I am the main character of this show. Not anyone else. Me. <laughs> well, and that's what makes it so juicy when it turns and she realizes my daughter's feeling this way. My daughter's feeling hurt. I need to explain why we do all these things, all these seemingly frivolous things. They come from a, a rich background and it's to it's to set you up for success. And then, luckily, it all comes into play when they're going through battles with the characters throughout the show or those fi- the cl- final climactic, you know. They're all there in the background getting ready to fight, and she's part of that team. So it felt so good. It's like, oh, she didn't run off or drag Ivy off. Like, she's, she and Ivy are both in there fighting it with all the other characters, too. It, it shows that real family vibe that her character grew to accept Anne and the Plantars to, to, to be a part of that family. And that was just, it's so rewarding to see that full circle. 
I'm, I was just kind of ashamed like she didn't get more lines towards the end. I know she she got a couple here and there, but it's like, oh, you know, would have been nice if if the if they got you know if I, I know that there's a whole epilogue, but it's like you know it'd be nice if if they got like one last like uh, send off episode before the series ended. But oh well. Yeah, but you know, and just sometimes you know the the storytelling beats or the scripts or the budget like there there could be any number of reasons why. But I you know we definitely saw her there. So visually, she was there, and I take a lot of pride in that. And, you know, it's all right. I love her. I love that show. And you never know what the future will hold, because I, I hope Matt creates more beautiful works for us to see. He is such a phenomenal storyteller, and he, that's what I love. Like, this, the, show, the show ended, but it was by choice, because his vision, he had, a, he had a beginning, middle, and end, and he knew exactly what he wanted. And that's the type of show we want more of where we have it, it's a set plan you know it took three seasons for this some some shows only get two seasons um but i, I like having a set story because you're going to get the full rich development you're going to get everything the way they intended as much as your production house will allow it's the same with gravity falls it was such a full rich story as it was it opens the door you never know what will happen in the future and I, I think, you know, it could have benefited if it had like half a season more episodes to close a couple of plot lines or tiny loopholes, I noticed. But I'm also an avid watcher of these types of shows. So I noticed these things and I was like, well, what about, what about that? We didn't talk about that. What was that about? So, but, you know, ultimately, like these stories came to an end at the right time and they gave us such a great time that that's why these shows will live on and they'll get recommended to others and and they'll set up for success. Who knows what the future will hold again? And plus, like, I, I feel like, you know, with Amphibia, you know, Matt and his team created an, an entire universe that they can, that they left the door open to be like, hey, you know, just because Anne's story ended doesn't mean, you know, we're, we're not going to revisit Amphibia at some point in the future. So they left that possibility of maybe a spinoff series, maybe like a, you know, a sequel series. Who knows? You never know. And that, that's the joy of animation. You can go anywhere. And like Mr. Pickles, that show as we know it ended the first episode of season four. <laughs> and that was our big joke of like season four is starting. Oh, the the eponymous character, the title character is literally killed off at the end of that episode. And that with that, the show ended. Mr. Pickles, after the first episode of season four, ended. And then we immediately launched into episode one of season one of Mama Named Me Sheriff. The exact same show, but now we have shifted the focus to the sheriff of the town. So, my, you know, Tommy was still there. Mr. Pickles was not. So we, we became a supporting role for this new angle of the show. But the show continued on. And I just think that it's one of the best turns I've ever seen in animation where you killed off the character, you ended the show first episode into a season, and then you launch into a brand new show that no one had any idea about. I thought that was the most funniest thing we could have done. It reminds me of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, where when they got to the 100 episode, they had a, a huge plot line of, you know, oh, we're going to get canceled after 100 episodes. And then to save the show, they had to be like, oh, we got to rename the show and reboot it. And they rebooted, rebooted it to Aqua Unit, Unit Patrol Squad 1, which is what what the what the following <laughs> season was called. So, and I thought that was pretty hilarious, where they fooled people into thinking, "Oh, is the show going to get a reboot?" No, it's just a it's the same show but under a different title. Yep, 
and that's I love that. You know, you've changed up the title, but it's the exact same show. That stuff is hilarious. And one of my one of my most treasured moments working on Thundercats Roar was working with Dana Snyder. He is so funny, and you know his the the voice as I call it because he he pitches it up and he kind of nasalizes it, but it's just so funny hearing that sound and that's his natural sound for the, for the most part he also speaks when he's like you know just casually talking it's definitely a lower tone but i just love hearing that voice in anything he just makes me laugh all the time and he's a huge disney file so that's how we're friends <laughs> it, it just still feels weird see hearing him a scratch on ghost and molly mcgee because i'm expecting him to go on like a, one of his shakisms Mm-hmm. But uh, he doesn't do that because it's a totally different show. Totally different show. Same with the Alchemist and Venture Brothers. Same, same voice, same pitch, but a totally different character. And that's the mark of a phenomenal actor. If you have the exact same voice that you can't change or or squash and stretch and mold into different sounds, as long as you are a phenomenal actor, it doesn't matter your voice because you you can be these completely different characters. Jenny Slate's another one. She does. She has done so much voiceover work and every character is different because her acting is different her point of view is different and that's exactly what we we as actors should be doing so and if you hear the same sound from a voice actor it it, it can be hard sometimes if it's like oh this this actor is well known for this character so when she uses that exact same voice for another character it can be hard not to hear the original use of that pitch and voice but if you're a great actor it will mold um E.G. Daly, like that, her voice is absolutely Tommy from Rugrats. But even though it was the same exact voice for Buttercup in Powerpuff Girls, the acting, completely different. Completely different archetype, point of view. So you didn't hear Tommy Pickles. You were hearing Buttercup. It, it, it absolutely was taking you out of reality. I, I think, uh, and, I, and I've said this in a previous episode, but one of the best actors who, who excels at this is Keith David. Like, you know, oh, Keith David, God. you know has just one voice, but the range on that man is just phenomenal. Like, all his characters are different. Like, none of his characters are the same. But his, but you know his voice. Yeah. His voice may sound the same, but he doesn't act the same. That's, what, that's the mark of a good actor. It's about acting, not about the sound of your voice. Yep. Which is uh, one of the biggest misconceptions people have about voiceover. It's like, oh, you're just... You know, you're just recording lines. No, it's acting. It is still acting. You know, voice actors are still actors. They are still told to emote, show raw emotions, give grounded performances, all that stuff. <coughs> acting is reacting. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, it just really bothers me when someone, you know, gets all uppity, you know, because cause we had a couple cons here and people get really upset where they're like, oh, we don't want any more voice actors. We don't want any more voice actors. I'm like, Oh, but voice actors are like some of the most down to earth people ever. Like they're so fun to talk to. I don't know why you guys don't don't appreciate it. <laughs> like yeah. I do. Oh well. It's just kinda one of those things. But but yeah, um we're working on working on something like Amphibia. Um do, do you feel like does it feel weird like being a part of something that will stand the stand the test of time and have like a just a it has a crazy fan base? In a good way. Um, uh, sorry, my brain just blanked. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> now, does does it feel weird like being a part of something as big as uh, as Amphibia? Oh, um, no, not weird at all. I'm very 
very grateful to be a part of this because, uh, like I said, I loved Gravity Falls, but I didn't audition for Gravity Falls because I, I came into the industry late 2012, early 2013. That's when I consider it my start of being a professional voice actor because that, at that point I had my agent and I was being submitted for, you know, real legitimate animation projects and being seen by those people officially. Prior to that, you know, I had seen them in those workout groups or those clinics and workshops. So like they, they knew who I was, but I didn't have that representation and I didn't have that polished performance just yet. Um, and that's just something that you grow with. And, and Avio took a huge chance taking me on when I wasn't 100% ready, but they knew I could get there and, and they helped guide me that way. But, um, being a part of it, it's, it's such a good feeling because I would have loved to have been on Gravity Falls. But once they, once they got their core cast, a lot of the additional voices, you know, the, the secondary and tertiary characters, those auditions had passed as well. So it was like your, your only kind of shot at that moment is bringing in actors for additional voices. But I wasn't well known then. So with Amphibia, having a secondary character on that show... I was able to do additional voices when I would go in for some episodes. And there were a couple of times where they brought me in on my own, just like, oh, we need some additional voices, or we have these characters we were not sure what should sound like, so we're bringing you in to, to fill them out. And it's such a lovely feeling to know, like, they, they trust you and they know your range and they know they, that, to know that they believe they can call you and then the, the problem is solved. That is, I love that so much. And that's something I really want to, blo to blossom more as well, is, is having that trust to be brought in for those things. And they often use the persons who they auditioned and maybe they made to the callback list, or if there wasn't a callback, they made it to like the folder with, here's the final five choices. Because they know, hey, they, they know the tone of the story. They've got the acting, they've got the sound, they've got everything that they need. They just weren't these roles. We can absolutely use them in other things as well. And did you get any, any chance to meet any of your fellow cast members? Well, I know I've known Bill for a long time. Um, I've known Lila Burzens for a long time. She's Mrs. Croker. Um, I did meet the gentleman who played Loggle because we did um, a, a young storytellers event at, at an elementary school where we go to meet these young kids who have written a script and we help perform and act out their script. So it's it's so rewarding. It was a lot of fun. Um, and who else? I I swear I met. I met James Patrick Stewart briefly, who was Wally. Um, and I think that's it at the, for the moment. Because we, we all recorded separately, but I love to meet Keith David. What a phenomenal actor. I adore him on Rick and Morty. But, I know, right? Every time, every time I have someone on this show, everyone's like, you know what? I really love Keith David on Rick and Morty. I'm like, yeah, he's pretty so great on that show. Might be my favorite character and there's one episode in this most recent season it was the thanksgiving one or the thanksploitation one where he fights a turkey that has been mutated to look like him and he at the end of the climactic battle you know he has that brief moment of unconsciousness under the water and it's like his life is flashing before his eyes and half of his life flashing before his eyes is the announcements of playstations and then finally they get to like now announcing the PlayStation 5, and then a couple more one-liners from his life, and then you hear his own voice whining, I want a PS5! And the way he delivers it, there's something about it that just makes me laugh. I, I can't I, describe it. 
That that joke was great because it's like, yeah, the PS5 is so expensive that not even the president of the United States can get one. Yes, and just that that petulant whining in his voice. <laughs> just so good. He's so good. <laughs> I am I am dissolving everything and giving all the money to Congress. He just became president today. <laughs> oh, so good. So, what a solid show. I'd love to be on that one too. Yeah, I, and that's what that's what I love about you is that you know, there's a lot of versatility in your work. You you don't just stick to like, you know, family-friendly stuff. You're like, I'll take anything. <laughs> I'll do anything. Um I have told Disney, of course, like if if I do something that's provocative or is that the word like like sometimes sometimes there's like r-rated animation you see on netflix like like blood of zeus or or other but you know it's definitely like aimed for adults or like mr pickles if if things like these came from this point onward i'm more than happy to if booked uh to work on them under a pseudonym to protect you know the brand the branding as well just Mary Kay Bergman, she was Snow White for the company for quite some time back in the 90s. And when she was brought on to South Park, she went under a pseudonym to protect the branding of her name and to protect her work as Snow White. That way, like, they didn't cross-contaminate. And that was back when the Internet wasn't even around, where you couldn't, like, nobody would have known that. No one would have figured that out because you you just don't have that information anywhere. But these days, everything's out there. So... I'm more than happy to do work under a pseudonym um, to help protect the, the genre and to help protect the integrity. That, that's fine with me. But also, I do love just expanding that repertoire and showing, like, I, ha- I can do this range of styles or, or feelings or attitudes. And some of those shows are quality work. Like, animation is such a beautiful genre, and the stories you can tell with them are just so visually rich. And it's its own... It's its own brand of cinematic glory, for sure. Does it feel weird hearing yourself in, 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 in shows? Yes. I'm constantly questioning myself, like, was that really the best take I could have done? And then the other half, I'm like, yes, they used that take. That's so funny. I'm so funny. I'm proud of my – I was a good girl. So it, it's that love-hate relationship that every actor has, you know. And, and other people are hearing you different than how you hear yourself. But uh, my philosophy is, like, when I perform, like, well, what would make me laugh? What, what acting and what attitude, you know, what sound makes me laugh? Let, I'll, I love to do that. Like, if it makes me laugh, if it's in that same style, hopefully it'll make others laugh. But it has its place. But it's the most authentically true version of yourself. You don't want to try to do what, they, what you think they want you to do, because sometimes they don't even know. That, but they'll just know they've hit something when they hear an organic performance. Yeah, I mean, most of most of the people I've had on here say like some of the best stuff was probably improvised or thought up on the spot when they were auditioning because the casting directors didn't know what they wanted, but they're like when they heard it, it's like oh, no, no, no go go with that, go with that. That's that's much better than what what than uh, what we had in mind. Yeah, and if if you if you do a line read that they they really want to hear or you do the, a traditional reading of a line, you can always say like, you know, I had one other idea. Could I try this? They'll never say no. They, they love hearing other ideas because you never know when you'll strike gold. So the wonderful world of Mickey shorts, we were constantly changing the script in the session. We, we had our established script and we had the established animatic. And we do like usually three takes of a line to show different points of view, to show different flavors. 
or different pronunciations of words. And I always, my first take was always a recreation of what the animatic had in place. Because to me, that was their intention, that was their goal, that was what they envisioned being the sound or the read or the nuance. So my first read is always one of those. The second read, if it's different, is how I would read it if I saw it a different way. And a third way is just, the third way is just something wacky or something completely out of the norm. Um, for the, the, there was a brief scene of bowling in one short where they were dealing with the house ghosts. And so she bowls a strike. And so we did like, yes, yes, yes. And they kept the last one where I dropped completely out of voice because she's so aggressive. And then she jumps right back into it. Or, or, and we, they, would, they would change things in a heartbeat right there in the middle. And like, oh, say this line instead. Or, or try, you know, you could see them writing out ideas. So it's all symbiotic. It all just fed itself on where can we go with these shorts? How far can we go? I love those shorts because of how insane they are. And just how, like, th this is like the closest we're going to get to an, an um, I don't want to say adult, but more leaning towards older demographic of Mickey Mouse shorts. Yes. I see what you mean. Like, it's a lot of that animation and wacky style is very reminiscent of, like, Ren and Stimpy back in the day. and But there were a lot of these crazy visuals in the old cartoons as well. Some of those old black and white Mickey cartoons, they're, they're weird. Like, Mickey will, like, morph his face into Charles Lindbergh, or he'll change it completely where his lips get really huge and his eyes get really, like... They had some very interesting visuals back in the day. And that's that's the style and feel that these shorts wanted to emulate in just the exaggerated reactions. And just, I love all the vo vocal work in these cartoons, but the visuals really seal it in. It, it's that perfect marriage of the actor, the animator, and the director, and the writer. And, and I'm glad that they're still doing them because those are my some of, the, some of my favorite um, things to come out from the main Disney uh, line for, for, for in years, I would imagine. Because it was just um, so different. Well, season two is airing right now, and it's very fo it's focused on the seasons. So we've had wonderful winter, and we've had wonderful spring. So I don't know the dates yet, but, you know, wonderful summer and wonderful autumn will be on their way at some point. And I tell people, you know, write to Disney, tweet it, Facebook post it. They've got emails, like, on various websites. I'm sure you could write to those as well, saying, like, you know, oh, I love these shorts. Please continue making them. Like, make your voices heard. That way Disney knows what does our audience want, what can we bring more of. Because you, you can bet I was tweeting all about Mandalorian when I first saw it. Like, I know they'll have a season three, but just to be safe, please have a season three. And then we got, like, season 2.5 <laughs> with Book of Boba Fett, and it was so good. Have you seen that show? It's all right. I'm sh what? No, it's so good. <laughs> it was okay. Come on. <laughs> Mandalorian's the best thing. I love it so much. I just, I just kind of felt bad for Boba Fett because, like, this is supposed to be your big comeback, and then you know. Oh, for for Book of Boba Fett, yes, I, yeah. I can see that. And the, the first four <laughs> episodes were very focused on his story, but it did help kind of tie in both shows together. Um, and just, I love Mandalorian so much, but um, I hope they do more Boba Fett. He absolutely has more adventures, especially with the the new characters established in his world. They can absolutely do more with that for sure. I don't know. I'm just I'm just really bitter about Star Wars right now because you know Asajj Ventress never got to finish her arc, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel those feelings, or or how like you you think a story's gonna go somewhere, 
and sometimes the story doesn't go for shock value or or they didn't plan it out and it can really bring down it can really hurt your feelings when it's like I was so invested in this story and this is not a very strong direction they went in you know I, and I feel and I I've, I've felt that way about several shows before where where you think they're leading a certain way which I don't think is like a bad thing I think it's good storytelling because you're following the tropes and you're giving the people a story that maybe they've seen it before, but not with these characters, not with these chemistry-laden relationships. And then when they do something completely different, sometimes it's like this this is done for shock value or this makes no sense. You know, you don't have to try to be different. You can just be authentically yourself where the characters lead you. But I'm not a writer. I'm not a, I'm not a director. So and take I, my opinion with a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, I understand what they're going for. Like, I, I liked, you know, I liked seeing Cad Bane in live action, but he didn't do anything. <laughs> and you, yes, you're coming from a place where you knew who this character was prior. I did not know who this character was. I, I went without cable for so long. I, I never saw Clone Wars or um, Rebels. I, I'm very behind in a lot of that Star Wars lore. And I've heard that these are amazing projects. And if Dave Filoni is involved, yeah, of course they are. I just haven't been able to catch up on those things outside of the established movies. Um, and then, of course, Mandalorian. But I just need to find the time to sit down because I have no doubt I will enjoy them. But seeing Cade, Cad Bane as he was, for me, was pretty amazing because it was Corey Burton, who's who needs to be a Disney legend like yesterday. And... It's that interpretation into this realistic world. I thought it was I thought it was great from what I saw, so I can't I can't make a comparison. But as an average Joe, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, because again, you know, as someone who's watched, you know, has who has watched Clone Wars since you know the very beginning, and I, I was look, I was one of those fans who was like, look, I I like Clone Wars. I don't care what every what anyone says. This was back in the day when everyone hated Clone Wars because it's like, oh, it's so different, blah blah blah. It's the prequels and prequels bad whatever but now that you know in hindsight people realize oh no these are some of the best star wars stories that have ever been told in any medium mm -hmm. and it's like yeah you know anyone who was watching this show would <laughs> knew that already mm -hmm. i don't know it's just i just find it weird that um that you know you would bring a character back who you know has this just rich history and then just do nothing with them I think I'm sure they were limited a little bit with the time and the storytelling. And it, it, it's it's probably more of an homage than anything else. Kind of like a cameo. <coughs> Goodness, so sorry. But I do, I definitely understand your feelings on that. Yeah, no, um, but, but I mean, it's, it's, see, it's fine. You know, we can have different opinions and, you know, we can disagree on the, on things. It's, it's, it's totally natural. Like, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, how, how dare you like this thing I don't like? <laughs> you know? That's just rude. That's just pride. You need to like what I like because clearly I'm right. I'm like, no, that's just your pride. That horrible, horrible pride. And also, like, I just want to say it was really not cool for for that one person to be like, oh, this, you know, when you were promoting Thundercats Roar, that one person was like, oh, you know, this show is terrible and a disgrace or something like that. I'm like, why? why would you do that? your feelings but why did you have to post it on my 
my tweet. Post it on your own. Like, you're not getting anywhere by posting that opinion on someone who clearly likes something. You're just kind of doing that to be a jerk or a troll or, and that's just, that reflects on you, not me. I loved doing Thundercats Roar. It, we, we had a blast every time we were in the booth. We had fun. Victor is hilarious. Max, you know, Max Middleman, Erica Lindbeck, Patrick Seitz, Chris Jai Alex, like all these people that they brought in were top of their game. Trevor Duvall was on it. And I, I remember all of them because I remember just how much fun we had. Dana Snyder, Andrew Cascino, Jim Meskimen, who is the most phenomenal impressionist I've ever seen. We did a panel for Comic-Con when we were at home in 2020, and Jim was on it with me, with uh, Rob Paulson and, and Deborah Wilson and a couple others. I feel awful for forgetting. I'd have to pull it up. But, like, just watching him was such a thrill. What a phenomenal guy. But we, we had fun every, every recording session, four hours in the afternoon. Wes Gleason was our director. He's one of my favorite casting directors and vocal directors. But we had fun, and like, I'm sorry if it's not living up to your expectation as a fan of the original, but it's, when in doubt, these, consider all of these types of reboots an alternate universe. It's an alternate universe. It doesn't have to be canon, but it can just be fun. And if you don't like it, change the channel. I mean, you can say something nice, don't say nothing at all. I mean, because I saw a couple episodes, and I'm like, yeah, the humor isn't for me, but I like some of the action sequences, and, you know, the, I, thought, I thought they were fluidly animated, but that's pretty much it, that's you know. It. Yep. Yeah. And and that's that's your takeaway from it, and that's that's perfectly valid, and that's absolutely acceptable. There, uh, there's there are some things I've seen. I can't recall them all, but I've definitely been like, eh, this isn't what I thought. I think I'll stop, and that's fine. I, I think just people they take social media so seriously, where it's like my opinion needs to be heard because it's the right one, and I need validation that it's the right one. Like, shut down the computer and go outside. Really have to if you have to get these feelings and opinions out, just make your own tweet about it. Don't comment on other people. But but even then, like I look at some of this stuff and I'm like, don't. I really just want to reply. Sometimes I'm like, do don't you ever just get tired of complaining about Teen Titans Go for as long as as as, as much as you do? It's been like ten years now. Like yeah, it's it, not know, going just... anywhere. <laughs> yeah. My parents love Teen Titans Go. They know it's not the original Teen Titans. They know it's not like the comic books, but they just are having fun with it. It's just a silly, it's a silly little thing that they're playing with. It's okay to play. Children play in sandboxes with a Lion-O doll and a Sailor Moon doll, and like all of a sudden, like, oh, we have to go save the princess. Like, well, they're playing wrong. Lionel wouldn't do that. Like, well, in this kid's world, they are. So let them play in the sandbox. I mean, well, I mean, Lionel would do that because he's, if, you know, if it's '80s Lionel, he is essentially just a giant man child. So, yeah. <laughs> but I just, I, I don't like negativity. I don't like this constant need of trying to constantly put everything down. And it's like we get it. You don't like this thing. Not liking this thing is not a personality trait. Please, no. you can tweet about it, but you know, don't drag other people into it who don't want to be dragged into it. Yeah. Anyway, I got I gotta I gotta wrap this up because uh, looking at the time and I gotta be I gotta oh. get going. Wow, <laughs> so, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I I uh, I'm sorry if I kept you longer than I should have. I'm so sorry. <laughs> nope, it's a Friday. It's a holiday weekend. <laughs> what am I watching? Like I, I Obi Wan just came out and Stranger Things just came out, but I'm gonna watch RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars first because <laughs> I need to know what's next. <laughs> 
Oh, and RuPaul was also an amphibia, so there you go. Nice. Wasn't that insane? Like, I didn't even realize that until we started season three, and there he is as an FBI agent with glitter lipstick, and like, this is phenomenal. And he did a great job, I thought. Like, he, he's, he's just being RuPaul. He's just being himself. I thought it was a great job. <laughs> he put more effort into that than he did in Chicago Party, and so there you go. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's a Netflix show that he was also on, but I thought, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Weird casting choice, but okay. <laughs> Any, anyway, uh, before I wrap this up, um, where can people find you online, and can you give us an update on what you're currently working on? I really should have been more consistent with this, but Twitter is at Caitlin Robrock. <laughs> Instagram is at K Robrock. Uh, Facebook is like, I think you can just type in Caitlin Robrock voiceover. I don't know if I actually registered. Let's take a look. See, you know, usually like facebook.com backslash something. Oh yeah, facebook.com backslash Caitlin Robrock VO. So I've got that, and Felicia is my little icon. So if you see her, you're good. And yeah, th- those are the three big ones. I haven't done anything with TikTok. I, I really should. I just don't know what to do. But those are my big three ones, and I I, I like replying to messages or tweets. So I am accessible. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time off to do this. This has been a wonderful conversation. And if you ever want to come back, you you know where to find me. I do. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.